Say you're a professional landscaper. You're not just tough. You're professional grade. And so are your tools. Because you got best-in-class Echo X-Series products. You got a perfect balance of power, weight, and performance from a professional-grade 56-volt battery system. Max-out battery tech that gives 100% power till a 0% charge. Echo X-Series means best-in-class tools for best-in-class pros. So when we say Echo is professional-grade, we mean it. Echo. Power on and on. The Money Pit is presented by the Angie App. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are here to help you take on the projects you want to get done around your house. Do you have a decor dilemma? Does something look just not quite right? You want to fix it? You want to change it? You want to freshen it up? Well, you're in the right place because we do that all. You'd be happy to know that I refrain from giving decor advice. That's why Leslie is here. <laughs> you try. It's okay. You got a joint team here. We, we kind of cover all angles, but reach out to us to help yourself first at 888-MONEYPIT or better yet, for the fastest possible response, just go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button. Coming up on today's show, if you'd like to refresh your home with new decor, but you're not quite sure if your budget is ready to handle the hit, never fear. We've got five ways to save lots of money decorating your home sweet home. All right. And if you're thinking about an outdoor project and you love the sound of a babbling brook, we're going to tell you how you can create your very own water feature right in your yard. And we're just about halfway through the summer right now, which means... It's that time of year when millions of folks transform the garages and yards into storefronts to get rid of the junk they no longer want. But whether you need to clear clutter or maybe just make a few bucks or both, we're going to have some tips to help you make sure your garage sale goes smoothly. All right. We love a good garage sale around here. But first, guys, what are you working on? We want to help you tackle all of your to-do projects with confidence. This way, you guys can have your best home ever. So let us know what you are working on. What are your big plans for the remainder of the summer season? Perhaps you've got something on the horizon for the fall. Well, whatever it is that you're planning to tackle at your money pit, let us give you a hand. The number again is one eight 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 money pit eight 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 six 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 three nine seven four, or go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Pat in Arkansas is dealing with a humid house. What's going on there? Well, I have a new uh, uh, heat pump, and uh, it's not taking out the humidity. Of course, I live in a humid uh, area, but uh, I, I just wondered, it's supposed to take out the humidity, as I understood. Well, not really. I mean, air conditioners in general, central air conditioners, which is essentially what a heat pump is, um, are not designed to be dehumidifiers. They do dehumidify by virtue of the fact that they're cooling the air, but they're not as effective as other forms of dehumidifiers. There's a couple of other ones that you could consider, one of which is called a whole home dehumidifier, and that's built into the HVAC system. It would be built into the duct system, and that can take out about 90 pints of water a day. Uh-huh. And there's another type of standalone dehumidifier. In fact, I just put one of these in my own house, and I thought it was absolutely terrific. It's by Santa Fe, and it's a small dehumidifier that installs, in my case, I put it in my basement, and actually is suspended from the ceiling in an unfinished part of the basement. And it's only 12 by 12 by 22, 
mm-hmm. and it takes out 70 pints of water a day, and it's really neat. Once I had it up for an hour or so, I went down there, and you could just see this pretty strong stream of water dripping out of it, and all that water used to be in the air, and now it's no longer there. So you need to do some dehumidification, and I think that you'll find that that will do the trick, Pat. Okay. Uh, what is the average humidity supposed to be in the house? 30 to 50%? Well, yeah, I was going to say around 40, so we're in the same neighborhood. Okay. And if you put a good dehumidifier in, that will be set up to a humidistat so that you always know what the humidity is. And it'll come on as it's needed. Right, exactly. Okay. All righty. Well, I thank you so much. Good luck, Pat. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. All right, now we're going to take a call from Delaware. We've got Vince on the line who's looking to do some work on a three-season room. What's going on? I have a three-season room with a concrete floor, and I want to hire a contractor to put epoxy coating down. Okay. The problem is, with the heavy rain, the water is coming up through the concrete. Will the epoxy cause a bigger problem? So what you need to do in that situation is, since your, your home is below the yard, you need to install what's called a curtain drain. So a curtain drain goes across the yard, and it collects the water. It it intercepts the water that's coming down the hill, so to speak, and then it gets run around the outsides of the house. So this is done by building a trench that's usually about 12 inches by 12 inches, and uh, there is a type of, of pipe called Easy Drain that has the aggregate attached to it. So you have the, the perforated pipe, you have aggregate, which in this case is made out of uh, foam pieces, it looks like looks like styrofoam peanuts, but it's not. And then there's a filter cloth around it. So once you dig the trench, you lay this drain inside of it. You cover it with soil where the ends are. You make sure that's lower than where you started, and the water will run out there and down the sides of your house. You could take it all the way around the house out to the street, or you could discharge it out to daylight, as we say. But you need to intercept that water. If you don't intercept the water, it, there's, there's nothing you can do to stop this. You've got to collect that water and manage it. It's simply a water management issue. Nothing more complicated than that. And a curtain drain is the way we do that when you have a house that's lower than the yard. Okay. Well, thank you for your help. The National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. Yeah. 25 Saturday nights, 50 matches, all season long on ION. Alan Gretchen-Williams slips through, here's a shot, it's in! This is a game changer for sports. Sabina takes a shot herself! Hammers it home! Oh my goodness! See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com. Heading out to Arizona, where it's been super hot. Barb, what's going on with your pool? How can we help? We have an older pool. We live in Arizona. The pool is used a lot. The pool deck has lots of cracks in it. The tile needs to be replaced. There's some rebarb that has come up from the pool deck. We would like to go over and retile and plaster the pool again. So essentially what you're telling me is that when the pool was originally constructed, there was rebar, reinforcing bar, that was embedded into the pool so that the pool will be properly supported. And you're seeing that this is exposed in some areas, which means that maybe some of the surface came away. Perhaps there's some rust that's set in. And you want to know if that means you have to completely replace the pool or whether it's repairable. Is that about right? That's right. Okay. So yes, I think it's repairable. I think it's a normal thing for an older pool for this to happen to. And there are going to be a number of products that I suspect that they're going to be epoxy based because they stick 
the best to uh, to the old surfaces of pools, and they're suitable for underwater. And I don't see any reason that you couldn't make a repair to that particular area. I would just caution you, Barb, to be aware that sometimes you'll have contractors that always want to kind of sell you the worst-case scenario in terms of, of the work. And I suspect that repairing an area where some rebarb has exposed has become exposed is not an enormous job. I would think that it's almost a normal seasonal job that you might have to do from time to time just to make sure that that surface stays in good shape. So if everything else is working well, then I think you probably should just make that repair. And in terms of the pool deck, of course, if it's tile, you know, and it's chipped and broken, then that's a different story. But there are a lot of cool products that are out today that are literally paintable. In fact, there's a product that's called Roller Rock. There's another one that's a terrazzo coating. There's a product called Spreadstone. A lot of the good ones are made by a company called Dyche Coatings. And you essentially can clean that pool deck surface, not on top of tile, mind you, but like let's say if it's a concrete surface, and then apply these products, and you can get really beautiful finishes you know, without spending a whole lot of money. So I think those are some options for you to kind of spruce this up as we get into summer here and, and not really have a lot of work to be done before you can actually enjoy that pool because that's why you have it. You live in a warm area of the country, and, and this way you can get it fixed up quickly and start to enjoy it once again. Hey, are you a fan of our podcast? Well, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll be doing a happy dance. Plus, it helps us keep the show going and growing. Just go to moneypit.com slash review. Bob in Delaware, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Yes, I have a faulty garage door opener diagnosed by the manufacturer having a bad circuit board. And the question mm-hmm. I have to have is with regard to surge protection of, of garage door openers and there are two types that I can identify. One, like you might use for your electronic equipment, and a special garage door opener made by a company, Chamberlain, that has not only protection for the the basic motor and the circuit board, but also for the control panels. Okay, so first of all, are you going to repair the garage door opener and put the new circuit board in it, Bob? Yes, because it's under warranty, and they will replace the part free, but the laborer had to pay for it. Yeah, that's kind of an unusual thing to happen. I, I actually have never heard of a board like that failing, but okay, it can happen. So now what you want to do is you're thinking that that could have been caused by an electrical surge and you want to protect from that? Most people I talk to do not have surge protectors on their garage door open. No, most people don't. And I would be hesitant to probably add one because I think this is probably an anomaly. But I will say this. If you are going to put this on, Chamberlain makes one. I would definitely trust that brand. Um, I know a lot about that brand and the people behind it, and it's a good brand. They make good products. And so if they're offering something that, that does this, I wouldn't um, be hesitant to invest in it. Yeah, that sounds good. You know, all these little devices we have around the house, you know, garage door openers and microwaves and stuff like that, are all susceptible to surges of sorts. Uh, but, you know, generally you put surge protection on your main panel. Not on, not necessarily on every appliance, and sometimes you put them on, you know, computers and that sort of thing. But uh, this is a very unusual circumstance. But if you're going to put something on, and Chamberlain makes a product for that, I would, I would trust it. Okay, Bob. Hey, very good. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit. Well, one of the most exciting things about owning a new home is decorating it, but. Rushing into decorating and buying pricey furniture, well, that can mean making choices that you will later regret. Instead, we encourage you to think ahead and come up with a plan. So first step, 
spread out your expensive purchases. If you're buying a number of high-ticket items like a couch or a bed, you don't have to get them all at once. Make a list of the pieces that you need to buy and prioritize. Yeah, and then I think, guys, you want to make sure that you're avoiding trendy design choices because chances are they're going to go out of style, you know, sooner than later. So before you plunk down your money on that patterned couch, think about whether you're going to like it in five years' time, if it's something you're going to tolerate for the long haul, or if it's something that just seems too buzzworthy. Next, guys, think about splurging on the essentials. You know, classic pieces are definitely worth investing in, and you can always cover the trends with inexpensive home accents, like a throw pillow or a color in a vase or something like that, just to bring that element in to give you that taste of it without overdoing it. Next, think about decorating around a statement piece. So you want to let one item kind of anchor that room. That can be a piece of furniture, a rug, artwork, anything, but sort of that's your focal point, that that's going to be your basis for designing the rest of the room around. And then lastly, kind of think about repurposing what you already have. You know, it's like the stuff you own is your best sort of prop closet. So hit that up first. You probably already have a lot of things that you can incorporate into that decorating. And you may even have some leftover paint from an old project or accent pieces that can be refreshed. Maybe you can give your couch new life by reupholstering it instead of buying a new one. A couch is a big project. You can start with a chair. You can reach out to us. We'll help you with the upholstery part of it. All of this upcycling really is a great way to maximize those decorating dollars. Now, here is my number one tip for those that are buying new homes to save lots and lots of money. When you buy a new house, or and I'm not talking about a brand new house, but any house that's new to you, you generally want to change it, right? You get this urge to want to tear down all the wallpaper in all the rooms or do something really drastic. My recommendation, wait at least two to three months before making those significant purchases and significant changes. Why? Well, one of two things will happen. You'll either get used to the old decor and you'll shift some of your existing furnishings around and discover, hey, it's not so bad. Guess what? You saved a lot of money. Or the desire to decorate is going to increase and you'll take on the project anyway. But by waiting, you'll have a much better idea of what you really need to spend the money on. Now we've got Kathy from West Virginia on the line who's tackling a kitchen project and has some questions about a sink. What can we do for you? Well, I'm having a hard time deciding on the type of sink. I've always had a, um, I keep wanting to say double barrel. (laughs) (laughs) I always washed in one side and I rinsed in the other. Right. So it's it's really hard for me to relate to a single bowl sink. Mm -hmm. But they seem to be the rage. And I wanted to see, really, I mean, what is the attraction? Um, size and space. I mean, you can get a lot more in a single bowl sink than you can in one that is divided into two. And I understand the, uh, you know, the habit of, of uh, putting soap in one and rinsing in the other. And, you know, listen, if you're used to that, why not? But I think the reason people get them is because they can get the bigger pots and pans in there. and They're just a whole lot easier to use. Um you know, the other option, of course, is if you're going to have a single bowl sink, then you just get used to having a small um, plastic bowl in there, a plastic tub, I should say, in there, which is what we always did. So that is where all the, all the soapy water goes, and then you have plenty of room on the other side to rinse, and then you can just, you know, take it out and put it away when you're all done. So it's really personal preference, but I think the reason they're so popular is space. What do you think, Leslie? I mean, I personally, I have like an extra deep single bowl stainless sink, and I like it because, you know, pots and pans fit in there, no problem. 
Um, I can definitely put a lot of stuff in there as I'm trying to get things cleared up quickly and I don't have to have it on the countertops. But I did grow up with a double sink and I too liked that. You know, I didn't have to fill up so much water in one sink if I wanted to just wash a couple of things or, you know, you have more options with that. Now, when you're remodeling, are you just replacing the existing sink or are you changing out the cabinet? I'm changing everything. I love the idea of a ceramic coated um, apron front sink that looks kind of, it can be modern and country sort of at the same time and have an interesting feel. And you can do a double sink. I think they're even called country sinks, you know, the apron front. They're so beautiful. And it might be just, you know, something that's a little different, but still familiar. And they resell very well for the house. I am so attracted to those ceramic apron front sinks. And uh, before I make the commitment, I was just wanting to see Am I missing something? <laughs> no, I, I don't think you are. I think they're very attractive, the, and I think you know. I think it's part of that sort of farmhouse sink design that's so popular to have the farmhouse decor that's so popular today. So, good luck with that project, Kathy. Okay, thank you very much. We got another day of NBA action, and with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Twenty-one plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Ten dollars first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable. Bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com/sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. You've worked hard for what you have: your money, your assets, your four hundred one k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Jerry in West Virginia is on the line with the soundproofing question. How can we help you today? The second floor master we want to convert into a movie room however it's over our son's bedroom he's six years old and what i've noticed is the volume there's like no sound barrier between the first and second floor so like when i hear my wife reading him a bedtime story i can hear it very plainly upstairs and that's typical because there's no insulation in those walls so you will get some sound transmission if you want to try to soundproof those walls um, or the ceiling, there is a, there's a number of ways to do that. There's a type of drywall that you can apply as a second layer um, that will be quieter than the traditional type of drywall. It's called quiet rock. To do that, you'd probably have to take out the old drywall. The other issue is that wherever you have a, um, a gap in those walls for an electrical outlet or a light switch or anything like that. They have to be sealed properly to deliver the soundproofing. And then there's another way to do this where you put a second layer of regular drywall on the first layer that's already there. You use a material called green glue, which provides sort of a sound insulation barrier between the two rooms. So by by improving the drywall 
between the surfaces, you can reduce some of the sound. But it, I don't know. You said movie room. <laughs> if it gets pretty loud in there, it's probably not going to stop all of it. Yeah, we were kind of hoping to do some type of cork floor upstairs. I thought there may be something that would help. Well, I mean, that'll help a little bit, but the drywall of the ceiling below is where you'll really have a chance to stop it. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help, and I love your show. Listen to it all the time. Yeah, good luck with that project and with all the work you're doing to your new house. Call us back anytime. 888-666-3974. All right, now we've got Janie on the line who's calling us from Washington State, and she wants some help with a project for her 92-year-old aunt. What are you working on? Well, my aunt lives by herself still. She does very well for herself. And she lives in eastern uh, Washington State where it gets pretty cold. She has a house that she's been in since 1963 when it was built. And she wants to see if she needs to upgrade the heating system because she's talking about selling her house. She's got a radiant heat in the ceiling and a couple of the rooms. The heat, heat doesn't work. So she's yeah. talking about maybe a heat pump or something like yeah. that. Radiant heat's really expensive. Gosh, in Washington, she must be paying an arm and leg for her electric bill. I would definitely think, and you mentioned she's on a full basement, I would definitely think that a heat pump is probably going to be a more affordable and efficient way to go. But since she's selling the house, I know that when you sell a house, you know, sometimes you're like tempted to try to do all the things that you've been putting off over the years to make it more attractive. But frankly, right now, it's a very hot market for homes. She may not have to do this work. If you do want to get some ideas of what needs to be done, what you could do is you could have your own professional home inspection done. So home inspectors typically work for buyers, but smart sellers often get the inspection for themselves so they can see what the home is going to look like in the eyes of a buyer's inspector. And home inspectors with good experience of doing hundreds to thousands of inspections can you know give you a good sense as to what you might want to update and they have no uh, conflict of interest, unlike a realtor or a contractor might. So that's one way to kind of figure out sort of where you're at. But I don't know that I would spend a lot of money on it because with the market as it is right now, there may be people lining up that are happy to buy it exactly the way it is and then do the work themselves, perhaps as a part of some other work that they're going to get done. Yeah, that's what we thought because where she lives is a Washington State University. So my mom always called it a university with a town instead of a town with the university. <laughs> so there is yeah. plenty of people who want to buy a house and then with a full basement, they rent out the basement to one student and they'll rent out the house part to somebody else. Yeah, I, I think you may want to speak with a good, experienced real estate agent in the area and ask them the opinion as well, as long as you get somebody you can trust. Because I I don't see it being probably worth your aunt's while, given the market that it is today, to uh, to go ahead and replace the entire heating system just because she thinks it needs to be done. If she was going to live there, I'd say, yeah, go for it. But she wants to sell the house. She wants to get as much money as she can. You know, let's save her some money on a heating system she may not need. I agree. That sounds like a good idea. All right. Good luck, Jamie. Thanks so much for reaching out to us. You're welcome. Thank you. While water features like ponds or waterfalls can help turn your landscape into something special by providing a focal point and attracting wildlife, I mean, it really does make your yard just outstanding. Now, they can be complicated or they can be super simple to build. There are garden centers everywhere that have those manufactured ones. They're pre-made, so all you kind of need to do is plug them in. Then there's others that are much larger, and those could be pretty complicated to build. So you've got to kind of assess, like, what your skill set is, how much you want to do, and what you want it to look like. Now, most water features are built with liners for the ponds, which are available really in any size you want. 
And once you do the excavation, you line that with sand, and then you add the liner and go from there. You'll also find a big selection of preformed liners like those that you see at home and garden centers. Now, these come in all sorts of shapes and really simplify the installation. It's kind of like taking a kiddie pool, minus the octopuses and the little fancy sea animals on it, <laughs> and sticking it in the ground. But, of course, much better built than a kiddie pool. Much more sturdy. Yeah. Now, you know, we used to build all these water features all the time on while you were out, and they're definitely fun projects to do. You know, we'd start with those preformed liners and then kind of customize around them and then add the perfect size pump. Just keep in mind that water features should look natural, so you can add lilies and things in the pond that give you that natural feel. And if the pond is deep enough, I mean, you kind of usually need to be around three feet. You can consider adding koi fish and they stay there all winter long. I'm always fascinated how they hibernate during the winter season and then come right back to life once it warms up. Yeah, but just remember that unless you're planning on making your feature a koi pond, you definitely need to drain that water feature every year. And even during the year, they'll need to be cleaned just like a pool as well. So they do take some work, but man, they can be a really fun and beautiful addition to your outdoor space. All right, now we're heading out to Kansas, where David's got a question. How can we help you today? I had a remodel done, and we installed a vent fan over the range. Okay. And when we get get a high north wind in the wintertime, it seems like we get a lot of backfeeding of cold air coming in that vent. I didn't know, is there any way to stop that? So the, the vent uh, fan has, a, has a, an exhaust port on the outside wall, correct? Correct. The right. door seems to be working fine. So. Mm-hmm. And is there a gasket around that door? Yes, I think there is. When you look at that door, do you happen to note whether or not it's evenly striking all the way around? In other words, if it's a little twisted because it's metal, sheet metal, and sometimes when they're trying to get that all in there, sometimes if it gets cocked a little bit uh, and it's twisted, it may not be closing completely all the way around. Have you, have you taken a look? At that level of detail? It looks looks pretty good that way. It's just when you get the high wind, it seems to sit there and chatter back and forth a little bit. Mm-hmm. That seems to be what, what in the area. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's depressurizing, basically. Huh, interesting. Um, the other thing is on the, around the outside of that where it comes through the wall, do you know if they've sealed that when it was put in? It usually comes through the wall, and there's usually some sort of frame around it and flashing, and, and you may be able to take off that outside housing and then seal it better than it was originally, and that could help a little bit. But if the door is chattering, then it seems like the spring may not be tight enough. And, and I'm not sure that anything that we could suggest is going to change that. I can't imagine a way to, to kind of correct that if that's what's going on. Yeah. Well, we've had the similar problems on the dryer vent and the bathroom exhaust, and we put a dampener in, but this doesn't have a long enough run to put a dampener in the line there. So. Ah, yeah. Well, and of course, you, if you put a damper in, you're restricting its, its efficiency as well. Right. So that's another issue. You know, it, it, there, another thing that you could do is if you put another, I'm going to call it a cage, but it, it's kind of like a metal box that's made out of perforated steel, and it's, it's, very, it's very perforated. It's not enclosed at all, right? But if you were to surround that exhaust port with a second sort of um, frame around it and had that sort of fenced-in area, then that might be enough to interrupt the flow of the air and, and that's depressurizing that spot and stop it from sort of chattering and, and coming up as much. And you certainly could attach it temporarily and see if it works. Okay. 
Get so, something to break, break the wind. Yeah, some way to break the wind. Exactly. Yep, exactly. Thanks for calling us, David. I hope that helps you out, and uh, let us know how you make out. All right, then. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Bye-bye. Marianne in Tennessee is on the line and has some concerns about asbestos. Tell us what's going on. Working on an older house. It was built in 1937. I know that there, I was told that there was concerns with maybe the linoleum that's on the floor. There's this little bit in the kitchen and in the bathroom. And before I took it up, I didn't know whether I needed to check it for asbestos, if there was any other places I needed to check as well. So this is old linoleum. Now we're talking about tile here. It's sheet linoleum. Yes. I've not heard that sheet linoleum contains asbestos. I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's more a, a tile. And it's a nine by nine tile. And it's always in like very specific colors that you'll know when you see it that that's an asbestos tile. And, like, they don't make a 9 by 9 anymore. Like, this is it. Yeah. I mean, the only way to really know for sure is to have it tested. But linoleum is generally not something that's associated with asbestos. And and if even if it did, uh, it would be contained inside of a binder, which makes it less likely to be removed, to be exposed to the air. Now, once you take that up, though, you also don't know what's underneath it. You could be revealing some other tile like that 9 by 9 that Leslie was was uh, was talking about. Uh, but that said, it generally is a good idea to pull up old floors before you put down new ones. So we hope that helps you out. Okay. Is there any place else I need to be concerned about on the asbestos? Well, you would generally find it wrapping um, water pipes. Um, and it looks almost like an old-fashioned cast. Like you can see it's like a, a flaky substance that's like wrapped with almost like a plaster of Paris. And you'll know that also when you see it, and that's asbestos. And while that has very low levels, I would not tackle it myself. You should get a pro always to do it if you see it. All right. Well, thank you very much. Well, with the last blast of garage sale season ahead, it's a good time to clean out and clean up by selling what you don't need. You know, National Garage Sale Day is coming up. It's the second Saturday in August, and it's a good time to dig into those cramped storage spaces, get organized, and make a profit in the process. Okay, so to get started, lightening your load is a lot easier when you have a plan. So here's my plan. As you go through your stuff, sort it into three piles. Things to keep, things to trash, and things to sell. Now, if you don't use it or wear it very often or you forgot it even existed, it probably needs to go. Yeah, and remember this, guys. Serious shoppers come early. And I mean it like super-duper-duper early. When we had a garage sale at my grandma's house when both my grandparents had passed away, People were in their cars like overnight waiting, waiting for the morning. So be very clear that you don't want anybody early. Close the shades, turn the lights off. Don't make eye contact because they will try. So really, really be prepared and put your best things out a few minutes before the start time listed in your ad. You also want to be careful about selling things that may have some updated safety features like baby furniture and car seats. Now, furniture, housewares, kids' sporting equipment, that always sells well. When it comes time to figure out the pricing, don't be sentimental about your stuff and overprice it in the process. If you're unsure, just do a quick search online, and that's going to kind of give you the current value. Keep things realistic by pricing things a quarter or a third of what they should cost brand new. And you're definitely going to make some sales. You know, you might be surprised at how much new space you'll create by cleaning out 
and how much money you'll make by just letting go of what you don't need. It's also the very, very best way to organize your garage because you have to empty it, right? And once you empty it, you can really question whether you want to put that stuff back again. Yeah, and also maybe don't do it when your kids are around. I feel like every time I try to clean something out and I'm like, all right, we're going to get rid of this or we're going to sell this, that's the day they decide they like love that thing. (laughs) It's the best thing they ever had and it's their favorite. So For a day, and then it goes back into the pile and it sits there till the next day. Exactly. Daniel wrote into Team Money Pit saying, I'm replacing my bath vanity, and when I turned off the hot and cold valves, the water still ran. I even tried to tighten them with pliers, but no luck. How do I get the water to stop long enough to replace the vanity? That is definitely a challenge that's happened to me as well. It always seems that those under-sink valves and even the toilet valves are not as reliable as the valves you might have at your main, which is actually where you have to go. You've got to go to the main water valve, Daniel, and you need to turn it off there. So now you've turned off all the water to the house. And once that's off, you need to replace the valves that are under the vanity. And it's not as terrible a job if you're handy as it might sound, or you can always hire a plumber, because what I would do is I would buy the PEX valves that are sized appropriately for the copper pipe that you have. And if you use the PEX valves, they're very easy to install, and they are completely watertight, and they work super well, and you'll be back in action in just a jiffy. And you know what? If you don't know where your water main is when you locate it, think about it. It's probably towards, like, the front of your house. Ours is by where the main's coming from the street, so I know to look on that side of the house. And once you know where it is, put a big fat tag on it that says, I am the water main. Make sure everybody knows in the house where that is, just in case. Yep, it's super important you know where that is, and just in case, like you say, Leslie, because when uh, you do get a pipe break or something serious like that, that's definitely where you got to go. Yeah, and you want to go there quickly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now we've got one from Judy in Texas who says, this is the second year for us to have major problems with the deer eating anything and everything they want. I have 10 to 12 in my front yard every night cleaning out my flower beds to the point where nothing is left. Oh, this is a Tom problem. You've had this many, many times. (laughs) What can I do to keep the deer away from the garden? Ah, yes, I feel your pain on this. Who knew that the deer were so health conscious, right? Eating all of those beautiful (laughs) flowers and bushes and all that salad. Yeah. All right. Listen, there's really three things that you can do to put some space between you and the deer. First, think about deer-resistant plants. Now, there are deer-resistant plants for every locale. And I must say, you must underline the word resistant here, not deer-proof. They are deer-resistant. If the deer are hungry enough... They'll eat just about anything. But, for example, in my yard, I had installed green giant arborvitaes, which are supposed to be deer-resistant. In fact, they were, really for the first two years. And then they started eating them anyway. The second thing you can do is a physical barrier. Now, uh, we did this in one area that was particularly bad because it was against some woods where the deer sort of came from. We put a seven-foot-high fence in. We did it with netting, so it wasn't like a big construction project because we wanted to protect a whole line of bushes that were in that area. But what I would suggest and works really, really well so far is a deer repellent. I'm using a deer repellent called Bob Bex, B-O-B-B-E-X. It comes in a concentrate. I mix it with water. It's like one quart of the stuff to two gallons of water. I put it in a pump sprayer, and I spray them every two weeks. I spray the bushes from basically from the ground up about four feet every two weeks, and it's been really, really successful. So I'm a big fan of this product. It's not terribly expensive. I bought a five-gallon bucket because I have a lot to do with it. Uh, I think it was a little bit over 100 bucks for the bucket, but it's going to last me the entire season. But the thing is, once you start, you can't stop because if you lay off and the deer start eating again, they're going to pick up their same old bad habits and start chewing away at whatever you had before. They're going to tell their friends, go to this house. It's super yummy. 
This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on air and online at moneypit.com. We're just about out of time. I want to take this moment to say thank you, thank you, thank you for spending part of your day with us. If you've got questions and didn't get a chance to reach out to us, you can do that 24-7 at 888-MONEYPIT or always go to moneypit.com slash ask for the quickest possible response. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.